Welcome and happy holidays, lovely listeners. This is the Soccer Capital Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Turner. And with me is a guy all ready for the season. He's got his Festivus poll up, and he's giddy about the airing of grievances. It's producer Mason. How you doing today, Mason? You have entered Discourse Thunderdome. <laughs> and also joining us from an undisclosed location somewhere in St. Louis County is a man who doesn't care about your friendlies. He's going to do his tackle and get a red card. It's Sean Campbell. Hey, there's no shame in my game. I play clean. Dirty, but clean. Only one card in my entire career. Only one. Only one. How many did you actually sh- should have gotten? Uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Undisclosed, redacted. We'll say that's that's for another podcast. <laughs> Classified. Yes, that'll be the private podcast only shared with families and friends. <laughs> you know, for blackmail purposes only. <laughs> But we're here to talk about all things football, especially USMNT, and uh, some of the things that we look back upon upon 2021 and what to look forward to next year. Uh, Before we start, uh, while you're listening, take some time in your podcast or choice to go ahead and subscribe, and please rate and review the podcast. It helps us out a lot. We also look forward to some feedback from you or any ideas that you have about future shows. You can reach us at soccercapital at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at Twitter at at soccercapital. First of all, we want to start off with all of our St. Louis City SC news, because that's the home team. And, well, this week we have not, non, yet, zero, zero, nothing. We got nothing for you, folks. It's as expected this time of year, and so far in advance. Not a lot going to happen until after the first of the year. Uh, Start to expect a flurry of activity coming on as we get closer and closer, and that time keeps inching up. We're about, uh, what, about 12, 14 months away from the first kick of the season. We're only about three months away from the start of the uh, lower division league. They're usl equivalent in the mls hierarchy and uh got a lot of things to look forward to but not a lot going to happen right now in the fallow part of the mls season and so far in advance of st louis city one thing we did have this week though the u.s men's national team did schedule a friendly uh december one in the off season they scheduled it against bosnia herzegovina uh, they did play this past week, and really it was scheduled to, you know, give some work for a lot of the MLS players in World Cup qualifying, chance to bring in some MLS players to see what they might possibly bring to the national team. Bosnia, I understand, or actually, they take their league takes a break between December until February, So they had a chance to send some people over. A lot of it was youth people. They are also doing sort of the same thing that you do in these wintertime friendlies for most international teams that play them. And, uh, yeah, I had a few new names in camp. Some of the ones that really look on, we had Cade Cowell, 17, 18 years old out of San Jose. Cole Bassett, 
who's also a young and up a comer in MLS with some looks at Europe. Uh, Jonathan Gomez coming out of USL. Look to see what he could do before he moves on to uh, Real Sociedad in La Liga. He's going to be on the reserve team there coming straight out of USL. Big development there. And a few other ones, plus a lot of the old standbys in MLS. And uh, started off the game. You know, it's a friendly. We don't expect too much. Little work, see what the U.S. can do. Bosnia, nobody's terribly interested. Maybe the young guys are. Try to make an impression. Doesn't always make for the best football. And it started off with Bosnia with a high press. that caused the U.S. some trouble in the very, very, very early moments. Bosnia was keeping uh, the U.S. kind of tied in, playing defense and all that. Until the U.S. finally got a counter, and Jordan Morris, who's back in the team, just streaked down the right-hand side, just smoked them all. It made a very scary play. Did it about two, three times. The next thing, that's the last we saw of the Bosnian high press. Uh, Him and Jesus Ferreira, who was working on the other wing, and sometimes they flip-flopped. They were just, down that right-hand side, they were just toasting Bosnia early on. And set up a lot of opportunities for the U.S. There was some chances, uh, particularly Ricardo Pepe had a couple. There's one shot that he sort of got off target. There was another one with a beautiful cross from Brooks Lennon of Atlanta United. Just wonderful. Right to him, right in the box, right in front of everybody. Didn't get his feet right. Scuffed the shot. Didn't even get a, didn't even get to hit the ball. He missed it completely. Uh, you know. Not the best play by Pepe. He was in the position, and he didn't make the play. It's kind of a bummer of a game for Pepe all around. All around. We'll talk about him a little bit later in this. Early on, especially in the first 30 minutes, the U.S. was making a lot of those good runs. Morris was a terror down the right-hand side. He's not sharp, a little sloppy in possession, but he showed what he can bring to this U.S. team. His... First of all, he has a good deal of size on all of them. He's incredibly fast. And he's also a goal scorer with a nose for goal. And that showed he was a terror down that side. A lot of good interplay. When they cleared the ball out, Johnny Cordoso coming out of Brazil to come up to the national team on this one. Uh, linked up with uh, Christian Roldan. And were able to get the ball out of the defensive area into good positions. There was some good stuff there, uh, but a lot of uh, what we see now, this young team throughout 2021, is that final play, that final pass, that final touch, that final getting on the end of the pass uh, just wasn't there. So many people have been into camp and Berhalter's brought in this year trying out everyone that you don't get a lot of that cohesiveness that you get after with a veteran team. And this is by, even when you got the A team, they're not a veteran team. So you certainly didn't get it here. After that, uh, Jordan Morris had one exciting play. He was able to get in, get to a uh, play, got his head on it. And it took a big save from the Bosnian goalkeeper to keep that out. That was other than Pepe's whiff was the best scoring opportunity the U.S. had in this run. It, Jordan Moore showed what he brings to this team is verticality. And he's not goal shy or goal adjacent like Paul Areola. If he gets fit and he gets sharp, 
he brings a lot to this team, and it's, it's very nice to see him come back from a second uh, knee injury, a second ACL injury uh, to come back, because before this second one that he got on loan with Swansea City, he had earned that trip to Europe because of outstanding play for club and country beforehand. He was a terror with what he could do, always had been right-footed exclusively, Time off after the first injury, he learned to use his left foot, came back focused on that, focused on being more goal-scoring, and he's really growing into somebody to add to this. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jordan Morris a little bit later. The game went on this way. U.S. is dominant, but not, you know, they're getting in dangerous positions, but the passes aren't clicking, things aren't clicking. Uh, can't say they had a lot of great scoring chances, but they put themselves in a lot of pressure situations to force goals. Bosnia was forced into doing a lot of desperate kickouts and saves and blocks and things of that nature. Then the air went completely out of the balloon in the game. In the 39th, 40th minute, uh, Bosnian player Amar Begic uh, decided to make a rash late challenge on Kellen Acosta. It was high. It was really high on the ankle. It was really late. And in a friendly, he got a red card. Uh, You don't see red cards in friendlies. Officials don't want to do it. It's not the purpose of the game. But Sean, what do you think about that play and that red card? Yeah, it's def- that's textbook red card. Late challenge comes in from the side, almost from the back, studs up, hits a almost underneath and takes out his shin guard. And it's it's just not the kind of tackle you want to see in the game, regardless of what kind of game you're playing in. Uh, luckily, it cost it was okay, but it, it's that's just not something you could be doing. I mean, if you're going to come from behind, at least get your toe down so you don't get studs on the guy. And kids, don't play like I'm telling you because that's how you get in trouble. That's how you form bad habits, but at least get your toe down so you don't get the card. But no, that, that was just absolutely ridiculous. Didn't need to be done. Uh, yeah, even if he had his toe down, he was so high on the leg. It's a wonder he didn't break Acosta's leg. In the uh, Premier League, Harry Kane of Tottenham Hotspur had a tackle similar. He didn't get a red card. It was pretty ugly. But this one was perhaps even uglier than that. You just never see red cards in friendlies. So it has to be egregious. And uh, this was the first card of the game too, right? And I was not expecting to see a red card in in this game. But you have to call that as one. It was so flagrantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I definitely expect in real time. I saw it. and I was like, oh, there goes a yellow. Ref goes to spot. I'm like, sure enough. And then out comes the red. I was like, oh, that's. Not what I was expecting. Saw the replay. I was like, yep, that's deserved. Yeah. It was high. It was nasty. It was hard. It was late. Wow. It was a shocking card for every reason except the actual play, in which case it was absolutely deserved. Yeah, even if friendly, you kind of have to give that. that. You can't allow the player to get away with that so he does it again. Maybe next time he does break the player's leg. You uh, have to call it. You have yeah. to call that. On that. And then Bosnia goes down a man in a friendly. Kind of took the air out of the game. U.S. had another chance really late uh, in the first half. Jordan Morris got in. Had a great another 
nice shot, goes through another save on him, but pretty much the air was taken out of out of the game with the red card. Uh, Lexi Lawless had uh, some interesting comments, perhaps silly for fundamentalists, perhaps a good idea for these friendlies where both teams want to get players work. Going down to 10 men, you know, kind of changes what you want to see out of the game. You, in this type of friendly, you don't have your A team to really work on breaking down a bunkered in defense. You really want to see how the players perform in the run of play, both sides in this. And it's really, it was really a bad thing for the game that he got the red card, but he deserved the red card. It had to be shown in this case. Yeah, but Alexi Lawless was talking about like allowing substitutions in um, in friendlies yeah. after red cards and not a bad idea. I mean, I get the point, but I think it's a little silly. Eh, perhaps. I actually missed his comments. Could y'all fill me in on that one? Yeah, he was pretty much saying that in a friendly like this, uh, if a player gets a red card, well, that player's gone. And gets shown and has to do the walk of shame off the field. But then the opposing team should be able, if agreed by both coaches or both teams, agree to allow another player to come on so they play 11 v 11. Uh, rather than having to play a different game with a man down that completely changes perhaps what both uh, coaches had planned coming into the game. It's... Never going to be implemented, I don't believe, but it was worthy of thought, thought process behind it. It's not completely ridiculous, but for implementation, it could be ridiculous. I definitely think this might be one of the first times I actually might think Alexiolis said something actually really smart. Um, because the, the point of a friendly is it, it's effectively a tune-up game. That's what this game was at its at its core. It was to get the guys in MLS to keep playing, so that especially the guys that are going to be playing in qualifiers, introduce new guys into the system, see how they how they interact with what you're trying to play, and if it completely changes the course of the game, and you have, I mean, it's one thing if it's a qualifier and you have to change strategy mid game, but when it's literally effectively a scrimmage, but in real time, I could see where it would be a good idea, but I definitely think it needs to be fleshed out a little bit more and think about bosnia bringing a young team and flew you know half a planet away to get to this game and now for a half they're not going to implement exactly what the whole plan was for this friendly so there is validity in what he was saying and perhaps a not a flippant dismissal but some thought and ideas about what he was saying would be prudent i guess i'll be the contrarian here then um, because I absolutely like see what the point of this would be, but as much as like friendlies are can played like their scrimmages and stuff, this is a competitive game and it is counted as part of the record. This isn't a training exercise. You are playing against each other. Yes, there's FIFA rankings, other considerations. You're playing under FIFA rules, the travel. Yes, you are right. There is that thought of it, and that will overrule at the end of the day. But the thought about if there was agreement between the coaches, the clubs on both sides to do that, 
Is there a way to make it part of the laws of the game to where that would be allowed in one of these, especially one of these, you know, not friendlies in a real window. There are friendlies and then there's real practice games. And this one's a real practice game for both sides. So just our thoughts on that. I suppose there is a way you could do that where the basically the record is struck and the game is not counted as part of rankings or uh um, like totals, but yeah. It, then why wouldn't you just have a scrimmage? There's a there's plenty of time to come up with proposals and present it to FIFA. I mean, the laws of the game are ever evolving. If you think about it, just a couple of years ago they changed it, so now you don't have to pass it all the way outside of the 18 on a goal kick. You can have your guy standing literally a yard in front of you outside of the six, and your goal, and you're totally fine. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I just think. If they're going to do anything like that, they really need to take a good, hard look at it and actually come up with something that makes sense, but also isn't overly complicated and wordy. Mm -hmm. I'm even old enough to remember pre-goal kick uh, passback rules, where if you got a passback from your own team, the goalkeeper was able to pick up the ball and waste all that time and spread everybody out and get a goal kick out of that as well. Uh FIFA probably should really, if they want to extend the joyousness of the game rather than just make more money, they should pay more attention to things like this than, say, having a World Cup every two years and foul up everything else in everybody's system, developmental, other things. Uh, I don't know. We all know what FIFA's ultimate goal will be, though. More money, more money, more money. Obviously. It's a side hustle. As opposed to the real hustle, which is taking money to propose side hustles from sovereign governments. That's the real hustle. The World Cup's a side hustle. But that's for another day, folks. Ah, the beautiful game. <laughs> so, after that, that was fun. That was pretty much the most fun we had for the next 44 minutes of this game. Uh Second half, as you imagine, Bosnia just bunkered down. U.S. got a full team in a friendly, didn't really want to do this. It just, they had possession. There was things happening. It was just dull. Uh, Burhalter wanted to get a lot of the guys a lot of work. At this point, he just started bringing on the subs, coming in, getting them play. And some of them were notable. Uh Brian Reynolds left out in, in uh, Mourinho's doghouse in uh, Roma. Got to come out and play. Looked pretty good. Uh, Cade Cowell came out. 17, 18-year-old. Didn't look so good. Cole Bassett came out. Looked pretty lively. And looked really lively in about the uh, 88th minute of this game. Jonathan Gomez, as we mentioned earlier from USL, from... Louisville City gets a sh nice shot, strong shot on goal. It's spilled by the keeper. Cole Bassett is there, does a very nice finish, puts it in the goal in the 88th minute. It's the one thing to note in the second half. Another exciting last-minute win under Burhalter for the U.S. men's national team. If you care about these silly stats, the 17th win of the calendar year for the U.S. men's national team which Tider set a record, of which I care not about. Uh, but it was an exciting win. They persevered. 
tell you what kind of game it was after the red card. Berhalter had an interview on the Fox broadcast afterwards, and they asked him what he takes out of this, positives he takes out of this game, and he's like, he didn't know what to say. They persevered. They got a goal. <laughs> he didn't know. The red card just sort of ruined the whole excursion. Other than get work for the MLS guys and bring some of the guys into camp. And really for these things, and we'll see in an j- upcoming January camp as well, uh, with a lot of people to see how they, what talents they could possibly bring to the U.S. men's national team. The big winner here was Jordan Mortis. He's not sharp. He's not fully fit yet. But maybe by the March friendlies, especially by the time the World Cup a year from now, uh, he could be a force on that. He's his speed, his nose for goal, his just size and his veteran abilities of know how the game is played. It really came into focus in this game. I think he's one of the biggest winners that we saw. Uh, any comments about Ricardo Pepe's game? Bummer. Like I said yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. But the way I'm looking at it is, uh, this, like you said, this game was, if you had to pick one specific thing, this game was mostly about Jordan Morris getting back into form, getting to play for uh, country again. He did a really good job of it. Pepe, it, it was, you can't talk about any one player without talking about the rest of the team in, in any seriousness in this game because this was not the not the normal team. Pepe is, a, at this point, a regular starter for us. Um, he's playing with a bunch of guys that he doesn't normally play with or hasn't played with much, if at all. So that last little connection just wasn't quite there. I'm not saying none of the blame goes on Pepe because he definitely needs to be finishing when he's that close to goal. Uh, but it was... Pepe's game was a bummer, but honestly, the whole team, it, it looked very chaotic. And uh, a lot of the guys, they were trying to get those connections and build that passing network and have everything work out right. It just wasn't clicking quite well enough. Yeah, you say he's a locked-in starter. I don't know. Jarzy Zardes came in late in this game. Oh, I didn't say locked in. I didn't say locked in. Yeah, he's, I said he's on the starter. Yeah. I said regular. Zardes was lively. He always moves. One thing you can always say about Giazzi Zardes is he puts in one shift. He never takes one play off. He's always moving. Uh, of course, he has a lot of years of experience on Pepe, uh, approaching well over a third of Pepe's life, much less his soccer career. Uh, so he brings that. Let's remember Ricardo Pepe is a talent He's shown it. He showed up for everything. This has been a huge year. He finally got to start for FC Dallas. He scored a lot of goals for them. He got to call up the national team and scored goals early. Then there was talk about the big transfer over to Europe. And it, like Daryl DK went through the same thing. He looks tired. Not necessarily physically tired. He looks mentally and emotionally tired. These are a lot of things for a young kid. DK at least was had some college, is 21, still a lot for him. He's still continuing college during while he was playing in Barnsley and through MLS and USMNT, all of that. Pepe's just an 18-year-old kid. 
living through this and the thoughts of where his future lies and all that, it's got to wear on you. He's He was in fine form when he was scoring early for the national team and his form's dropped off. He's got things to work on. Striker, you don't see a lot of exciting young strikers in the world. And when you do, they're the richest people in in football or in all of sport, much less in soccer. Uh, so it's a learning experience. But Zardes came in, looked sharp. The midfield, Johnny Cordoso, I'd say he's a fringe national team player. He had the holding midfield back. He did all right. He had a few nice link-ups in the back with Roldan, where Cordoso got Roldan into play. play. Roldan was able to push it forward. The Acosta uh, Roldan midfield, they are who we thought they were. Serviceable players. Roldan's much better as a, a sub coming in off the wing and as a coach to bring in the instructions for the late game uh, changes for Burhalter than he is actually running in the midfield. He doesn't really run a midfield. He's more of a wing type player and more of the coach on the field type guy. Yeah, completely agree. Um, the midfield wasn't spectacular, but uh, I honestly thought Cardoso was, I, I think he performed pretty, pretty well. I think he I had a pretty too. good game. He was all over the place though. That I mean, I'm not saying you don't want a midfielder all over the place, but when you're supposed to be the holding mid and you're flying up one wing, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're back in the in the by the back line, and he was all over the place. Could be good, but not when you're supposed to be playing the six. Yeah, guys running all over the place, but not where they're supposed to be. Look really good to the fans, but drives coaches insane. I'm thinking of Matthew Hoppy in the Gold Cup running all over the field. We loved it. Drove Berhalter insane. Oh, it's it's almost as if he's that style of play drives coaches as insane as Wando makes defenders insane with his running around the box. Yeah, but he's always where he's supposed to be, just not where the defense thinks he's going to be. And that was the thing about Wando, made him great. One player that really stood out in the starting lineup was Atlanta United uh, defensive back uh, Brooks Lennon. He did a lot of work down that flank with uh, Morris. They were hooking up. Lennon's very good. He put that ball into the box for uh, Pepe, the Pepe whiffed on. Lennon's good about that. has been. He's been a young talent. He's not quite so young, but he's not old, a veteran either. There might be something for him somewhere, but to break break into the starting lineup or even the top 23 of... uh, the national team going to a World Cup, I don't see that in his future. That wing with him and him and Morris, it was just high flying wheels back and forth all day long. I absolutely loved it. it I always love seeing a, a good wing back that can fly up the field and, and before that ball's even finished getting crossed in, he's already back defending and ready to go. I really liked I really liked his 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 presence that uh during that friendly. Another one stood out on the wing when he came on late was Brian Reynolds, as we mentioned earlier, uh, in Jose Mourinho's uh, doghouse at uh, AS Roma in Serie A in Italy. Uh, he looked pretty lively, had a lot of things going on he was working with. Uh, there was a few players came in, Zardes, him, uh, Bassett looked particularly 
up for the the game at the end when it's kind of a slog and all of us were nodding off. Um, he he showed well. Word came out that there is actually an interest in him in Club Bruges and a few other teams. You know, reports and at this time of the year coming up to the January window in Europe, they come out. Let's see what happens. Uh, for Roma to come and get him after a half season in MLS as a very young player, there's obviously talents there. There's size and speed that is very much wanted in Europe. So we'll see how that goes for him. Rumor mills always working. Always working, especially over in Europe. Always working. George Bello uh, had a play on the outside. Again, we didn't see anything that we didn't already know. Uh, he's got moments where he's very good, especially in attack. There's defensive lapses, inattentiveness to his defensive responsibilities. We saw pretty much what we wanted. Cade Cowell, uh, very promising, very athletic, uh, very young player for San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, touch wasn't there. He didn't look that great. But Cole Bassett did. Uh, the Rapids uh, midfielder played quite well. He was very active. And, of course, he was there in the spot to get the uh, – he was alert and was able to jump on the uh, spilled uh, shot by Gomez to put it in with a nice finish at the end. So he showed well yeah, in this one. Obviously had a good showing. Anyone else stand out to you from this game, Sean? As far as standouts, I think we've covered just about everybody. Um, I mean, most a, a lot of these guys were probably originally just brought in to get, get into camp, and then the game got flipped on its head from a red card, so these, you know, bear halters like, you know what? Have a run out. You know, see see what we can do in an, in an in-game situation. And I mean, no one really looked bad. It, it's just no one really looked great. But again, I'm attributing that mostly to the fact that a lot of these guys don't play together all that often, if ever. So it's it's going to look disjointed at times, for sure. Yeah, we spent a lot more time than we normally would on any friendly of this sort, simply because there's nothing else going on, to be quite honest. Especially because there wasn't much going on in that friendly either. So after this kind of a mess of a off-season friendly, what do you, what did we learn, Sean? What did we learn? Well, definitely one thing we learned is that uh, there is there's a lot of talent in this pool from varying positions and varying places. Um, but the question is how how much quality is there really in that depth, and uh, what what kind of guys are we seeing now that actually have a place? What kind of guys have we seen in the past that we thought had a place and made a longer have a place? Like what happened to them? Uh, first name that really comes to mind for me is Julian Green. Where'd he go? Why is where's his place in this team? Does he have a place? I don't know if he has a place. He was a Klinsman's kid and came full of that promise in uh, 2014, scoring that goal against Belgium in the knockout rounds in extra time. But he was put on that team above Landon Donovan. Eh. Eh. But he's still young. He's what, 24? Still only like 25, 26. 26. I believe he's 26. 26. Yeah. But he's playing for 
Gerth Firth, if I got that right, uh, in the Bundesliga, helped him get promotion. He's playing well. He's on the skirts of getting a call up, what we'd say. Ivis Galarsep of uh, SBI Soccer, where our good friend uh, Larry Henry Jr. works. Uh, Ivis is big on Julian Green, a big fan. Mixed Discarude, you know, where's he? he? You know, it comes down to what it comes down to is we lost a whole generation of players. These young kids coming up, including even Pulisic, and then especially Reyna and Weya and Pepe, the 18s and 19 years old, Musa, the incredibly, incredibly young international players we're counting on. Where's the ones just a few years ahead of them that could guide them through this? In 2018, Pulisic and some of the others had likes like Josie Altador and Michael Bradley to be there to teach them how it went. Of course, that didn't go well. Who do you pin it on? Some would say Klinsman. Some would say Arena. Some would say both. Um, but there is no of those guys. You're left with veteran leadership of Paul Ariola, Christian Roldan, Sebastian Legett, Kellen Acosta, and now uh, Jordan Morris coming in. You know, these were never frontline players, a hundred cat players like the other ones. We've lost that whole generation, the mixed discarude, the Breck Shays, uh, names Aaron like Johansson. that. Aaron, Aaron Johansson. You know, Aaron Johansson's a kind of a sad deal. He really had a lot of talent, really had a nose for goal and showed well for the national team, but injuries just devastated his career. It, it just ruined his career. It's a, a real shame. Sometimes circumstances conspire or guys just fail to materialize and you get enough of those compounding and you end up in a situation like this. But it seems like we're pulling out of it with the just the depth of talent that the young guys have. I'll throw a name. Let's do our search as we talk. Uh, how old is Freddie Adu now? Oh, oh goodness. I think he's got to be like, what, 29 now? Oh, I would oh think he's, he's 32. He's 32. So he would be one of those guys that whatever happened in his career... He would have been the leader of this club. And if you ever heard anybody talk of those older generations that were maybe even older than him when he was 13 and 14 and blowing up everything, they go, he's the best player we ever saw. They go, he was at his age, like in the Olympics in his 18, 19, 20s, he was best player in the world. The hype was not as outsized for him but apparently the problem was they never gave him the structure as a young child and heaping the the hopes and dreams of american soccer fans on him nobody protected him it's a lesson was kind of learned with pulisic where he was treated a little bit with kid gloves and still kind of is uh perhaps to his detriment in the u.s uh in his club career but he would have been precisely what we're mentioning of a lost generation. He only 32. 
That's that's hard to imagine how long it's been since he was really, really the hype from what I was hearing is he was a one of the best players in the world for a youth of any any country in the world. Oh yeah, Freddie Freddie definitely came into the scene hot and there was a lot a lot of expectation for him and I think the pressure got to him in the end. Um the one good side about this is though that uh you know even with this whole lost generation of US men's national team players with our current squad of guys that uh got their start or are still playing in MLS and are being competitive I think ultimately this ends up speaking to how competitive our league has gotten, where it's come, how far it's come in such a sh- relatively short amount of time, and especially the academies. The amount of players we send over to Europe when they're 18, 19 years old, and they have a real shot of breaking into starting lineups, if, if not just as a sub, but even as actual starters. It really just goes to show how strong this this player pool has become, and we have that's why we have such a great amount of talent. FC Dallas seems like a standout for me here because they are not good first team. They're not very good on the field in MLS, but how many products have we seen from their academy take the field for the U.S. men's national team, get shipped overseas? There's something happening there in Dallas where apparently they're not interested in their performance on the table in MLS. They're interested in what they can, you know, take in, refine and ship out. And it seems to be working because we're getting a lot of talent. Uh, That's a big question for the future MLS. Uh, Dallas should have a large fan base. They don't. They've taken, taken the money from transferring those out. They're not putting it on the field. Uh, Their commitment to, bringing the kids up to the first division with better players around them to support them hasn't been there. That's a big thing facing MLS. It's a big thing facing the owners at MLS. FC Dallas has an old school ownership, not a new school ownership. It's something to keep in mind going through all of this as well. But also I look at Freddie Adu. Man, when he came up in MLS, MLS was, let's put it bluntly, it was a joke. MLS is not a joke anymore. It's a serious domestic league, not in a top five, no, but on par with some of the others that we would say. Uh, we start talking about the Eredivisie, we start talking about the Belgian league, we start talking about the English championship, we start Vi- talking Vi- about... Bundesliga. The what? Zwei Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, some outside the Brazilian League in South America, they're all fleeing to MLS to play. Uh, it's on par with these teams and how far it's come in Freddie Adu's career. And I think that pretty much wraps up our U.S. men's national team coverage for right now. And uh, I hope you enjoyed our segment of guy remembrance. <laughs> old <laughs> old guy remembrance. What I wouldn't give for Taylor Twelman still to not have all the. <laughs> <laughs> One name we didn't mention of all the uh, remembrances, Josie Altidore. You know, Josie finds a team and gets himself in shape and is healthy. Is he viable a year from now on the World Cup team? 
Qualifiers is different than the World Cup team. Josie'd be a coup if they could get him at least on the roster. I think the I think the only capacity we see Josie overseas in the World Cup next year is as that late late super sub when we're it's a it's a tied game going into going into like the 75th minute 80th minute and then you just say Pepe's just not having his he just doesn't have his touch that game boom throw Josie on there with Morris on one side Pulisic on the other just funnel balls into him all day see if he can get onto one of them who knows he can make something happen he's He's got the touch. I just don't understand it. But I think that's the only way you see him on the on the roster. It largely seems like that train has sailed, though. It does. But, you know, I'm a Sunderland fan, and when he was there, the rumors were, he's a great guy, loved by the fans, worked hard. Uh, Sunderland's a hard-working and hard-drinking town, and Josie liked a few pints. He also couldn't stay healthy to save his life. And maybe that had because he had too many pints for a professional athlete as well. Whom amongst us, but... <laughs> yeah, but we're not professional athletes. We're <clears throat> professional podcasters. Um, you know, we can sit here and have our uh, citywide or whatever we're drinking while we're doing the podcast. Josie can't have that on the sidelines. As far as we know, we never know what happened with Sunderland, even though I've seen the documentary. Uh we got to go we got to go back to the good old days of baseball when you got a pint at third base. But Josie show, showed something when he came back late in the year. If he got himself together and had a good start and forced his way into this roster, I got a feeling by the time they got the World Camp with what Josie can bring, he might force himself being brought into camp as that late sub. He might blow away all of these other options at center forward. Let's see what Toronto FC does next season if he's still on the team. If he can bring back the magic with Bob Bradley coaching him again, I might see some credence to it. But honestly, I don't see Josie making this making this lineup. I think we're at the point where we need to just tie tie our cart to the Peppy trade. And plus, uh, you know, he's kind of tied to them, but Toronto cut him loose when they cut loose Ali Curtis as well. As their GM. Josie might not even play in MLS. He might just be locked out of Toronto and with nowhere to go because of their Byzantine rules. Time will tell. We'll find out in the uh, next two months of the upcoming year. And speaking of the upcoming year, it's time to look back on what was the past year. Great segue. (laughs) Thank you. But, uh, no, it's time for us to look back. Some of the things that uh, we thought were important in the past year, especially with St. Louis City, there was a lot of highlights considering the team is still 14 months away from playing their first game, but a lot of things happened. You know, up and running. That got us up and running, to be honest. Not that that's one of the highlights of 2021, but... Still, depending on who you ask, it might be a low light. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> but Ryan disagrees, I'm sure. <laughs> Shout out to Ryan. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, hey, don't be hating on our on our top fan. No, no, no. Absolutely We're giving him not. all the love in the world. <laughs> the stadium's 
really moving along. It's progressing very nicely. Looks to be a wonderful stadium. The academy's up and running already. Doing great things. Season tickets. We've already got ours for the supporter section. They're already selling at that rate. Seems to be high demand. They hired John Hackworth to come in. Well-known youth. U.S. Men's National Team, MLS, uh, a big mind to come in and help out uh, with Lutz Feinenstiel uh, with the setting up everything from top to bottom throughout the uh, whole program uh, to really get the coaches in line to keep it uh, the way that Lutz wants it to be. So there's a lot to be excited about uh, is what's happened in 2021 with St. Louis City. Also, I wanted to take a look back with the three of us, myself, Mason, Sean, and uh, think about what happened during 2021 that made us excited about the sport that we do this for. And since he's the newcomer to the sport and kind of learning his way along, I throw it at our producer, Mason. What's your thoughts about what excited you about the past year? Just a couple. Well, this one's this one's for me. This one's for the boys. But um, FC St. Pauli finishing the first half of the Zwei Bundesliga uh, season at the top, number one on the table for the first time in their club history, I believe. Uh, love to see that for my boys in brown. But um, and you love the sausage train. <laughs> like I said, it's for the boys. But um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> Um, but uh uh for for the club the the performance of the academy was really striking considering that they kind of materialized it out of nowhere um and out of nowhere yeah literally (laughs) yeah um but i mean like i mean because they basically pinched um uh scott gallagher and that really paid off Uh, you can look at their results from the MLS next season, it's really impressive. Um, and I did not expect to see that right out of the gate. And it's tough on Scott Gallagher, but also a huge tip of the cap to what Scott Gallagher has been doing for generations. Yeah, they run a great academy over there. And it shows. What stands out uh, in the past year for you, Sean? Well, when it comes down to specifically... Specifically, city news, city happenings. Honestly, the best part was getting involved with the Luligans and all the all the local fans. All the times we got out to see academy games, uh, the different group functions. Really enjoyed getting involved in the local scene and actually getting to see the you know grassroots coming together and the fan section coming together. It's it, it's it's great to be a part of actually building it as opposed to just jumping into something that was already well established um and it it wouldn't be my segment it wouldn't be my my comments without saying i loved the comeback of the hungarian assassin but that's for another podcast <laughs> that's for another podcast uh for myself yeah the enthusiasm in the community the uh enthusiasm within the community also amongst us local podcasters we got a core group that are 
podcasting on a regular basis and bringing the news to you. And it's smart, it's intelligent, and it's well done. And we're glad and very proud to be a part of that as well. Like to see to get the local media on board, but their time will come. As for outside of St. Louis City, in the world of football, I'll go back to you, Mason. What stood out for you outside of St. Louis City in this year? Um, I personally enjoyed, uh, I don't know, seeing the uh, the rise and very quick defeat of the European Super League because I, I just like just that little bit of sandbagging against the eventual wave of the segmenting and fragmenting of um, of leagues uh, in pursuit of a few more dollars. Um, the way that that was cracked down on so hard by fans, supporters, groups, and leagues, uh, you know, while it wasn't altruistic from like the league's part and from FIFA, it was still nice to see. Very good. Very good. What has stood out in the past year for you, Sean? In the greater world of football, only two things. Messi finally leaving Barca. That was that was a trip. Uh, well, three things really. Then Messi leaving Barca, Ronaldo going back to Man U, and Tottenham finally getting rid of Jose Mourinho. It's just <laughs> why'd we even hire him? Why? But no, it, it was lots of just big transfer news and coaching changes, and it's just very exciting to see the you know the rotational culture and seeing all kinds of things just changing, but at some, is some extent still staying the same. A couple of things stood out to me. None of them have to do with the U uh, S men's national team. A lot of them have to do with seeing such a young group, incredibly young, almost unprecedentedly young for a, let's face it, a top team in the world not at the very tip-top, but still a top team in the world, uh, to be so young and how well they played, and especially against the measure, the bar, that in the Western Hemisphere we have, which is Mexico. Uh, those three wins in competitive matches were thrilling, and how they were done were different. You bring the A-team over, but they're young and they haven't really played together in the League's Cup final. And really, the standout for 2021 was just a circus around that in Denver for that. Uh, you could you don't even have to talk about the game. Let's talk about the broadcast. Uh, Clint Dempsey's on. They have a infiltrator into the set that jumps over the rail into the void. Uh, they have joking that when Charlie Davies goes out to, you know, present the trophy that he does the stanky leg and he does. And then you have the debris being thrown on the field and striking Gio Reyna in that game. You have the homophobic chants that stop the game. You have Tata Martino, uh, manhandling and trying to talk to the referee as he goes to check the VAR monitor and getting a red card and kicked off the field. That beyond the fact that what happened in that game was beyond belief, 
U.S. just dominating through set pieces, Christian Pulisic hitting the penalty, then giving the other penalty, Kellen Acosta just, you know, standing next to Andreas Guardado in his ear until the rest of his team calls such a hubbub that makes him stand at the spot for five minutes while they sort it out. That one alone. Then the Gold Cup with a bunch of the B team, MLSers coming out and playing still a pretty good uh, Mexican team and pretty much beating them in the same way, wearing them down and catching them at the end. And then the uh, World Cup qualifier against uh, El Tri on home soil. Um, the U.S. dominated in a way that I don't think anyone's ever seen the U.S. dominate Mexico in a game. Not just dominate them, not just dominate them in tactics and play, dominated them mentally and emotionally in that game. So that's the biggest thing that stands out. That and how great Carlos Heel was, even injured for New England. If he had a full season, Carlos Valderrama's records from way, way, way back in the day would have all been broken. One last thing in this show is, what do we get to look forward to in this coming year in 2022? It's going to be a big, big year for St. Louis City, even before they play their first game. The uh, lower division league will start. So some of the academy players, some other players from around will come in, get their chance to see if they can make the first team when they start in uh, February of 2023. We assume February, maybe March. Uh, will there be a stadium or at least a dedicated field with stands for the Academy and the lower division league? Love to see that in the complex, in the campus downtown. Uh, fully expect a head coach to be named in 2022. If it's not, we're going to have a lot to talk about on this show. <laughs> The kid, we're expecting an announcement in October. They got a lot of time to work around. Let's see if it becomes something designed or is just a, you know, template from Adidas, Nike, whoever has the contract. Go and get some first player signings. That'll really be indicative of what Lutz is seeing from this team in the first season. And then, of course, uh, as we just saw with Charlotte, going through the free agency, the draft, the expansion, all of the GAM, TAM, all the allocation money. What do you use it for? What kind of machinations in the front office? Do you go European heavy like Charlotte seems to be to spend it on international roster spots for those that aren't American, Canadian, or have green cards? Uh, and see what happens there. For the U.S. men's national team, it's pretty easy. We'll find out by the end of March. Qualify. Qualify for the damn tournament. That's all we ask. I don't care if you're first, second, third. Prefer you not to be fourth and have to do the playoff against Oceania. I be it. New Zealand. Uh, yeah. Rather not go that route. Gio Reyna. Giovanni Reyna can come back, compete. See what he can do. Can he really excite a moribund Dortmund team with him and Holland being injured and 
slowed up. They've really kind of been sluggish. See if what what he has for his talent and his potential at 18 years old. Can he bring back both club and country? That'd be immense. Jordan Morris coming back. I'm really excited about this. He's got talents that the U.S. team can use. Whether if he starts, he's primary, bring off the bench, spot starter throughout qualifying. If he can come back and compete and be there, that's immense. Especially breaking down defenses and creating scoring chances. We already already saw it in this friendly. He created a lot of the excitement in the first half on himself alone. And some big games. We get to play Canada. Upstart Canada. It's good not to be the upstart U.S. anymore. It's Canada now. We get to play them at home. In, where was it determined to be? Windsor? It is in Hamilton, Ontario. Hamilton. Okay, I got it wrong. So it's uh, on the outskirts of Toronto, I believe, is where Hamilton is. Still, easy travel. Weather, well, they're going to play in Minnesota afterwards, so weather's not going to be a problem there. It's going to see be good to see how they compete against Canada, who's on a roll. It's a big game, but not as big as what happens in March. U.S. team beaten L3 uh, three times, but they haven't beat them at Azteca in Mexico. Hard to do, especially in qualifying. Hard to even get a draw there. Let's see how they perform. And then I in that, si- that's going to be a big old test for them. Oh, it's going to be ugly. It's everything you've heard about Concacaf might happen in that game. And I'm not talking on the field. I'm talking about from the stands. Uh, and even a harder trip is the one to Costa Rica. U.S. has never won at Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying ever. Uh, They have to go there, and that's in the March window. So they really need to clean up, get the point or points against Canada, take care of the other home games in that January window, and sit pretty. Because going to Mexico and going to Costa Rica in March and needing points to qualify is historically not good. Things have changed. Costa Rica's not as good, but that environment they're going to be a whole lot better than they've been, as we saw with Jamaica in Jamaica. Anything else you guys are looking forward to in 2022 from club, our country, other clubs, or other countries? Honestly, I'm just, this is this is across the pond, but uh, just hoping for some silverware. <laughs> That's all I want to see is I want to see some silverware. Who's going to get silverware first, you or Everton? <laughs> uh, I think Tottenham it's going to be Everton. Us. My my money's on Tottenham. They've got they've got a pretty good shot in uh, not just the the FA Cup but also the F the uh, Carabao Cup. Uh, we are putting in a strong campaign to try to get into Champions League next year. So, I, just one, just one trophy, please. <laughs> Good luck to Tottenham on that. Uh, just a side note, Sunderland got silverware last year. But oh, anything man. else to add for this week's show or for this year? Uh, I mean, That's I guess it. just end my soccer career. <laughs> just end my fandom right now. I, I, I want to cancel my subscription. The man has been ethered. Away the lads. Away. 
Uh, well, I guess if we're talking about overseas, uh, I'm Bye hoping for, for a promotion. For St. Pauli? Yeah. Are you going to drink a big old fat, uh, tall St. Pauli girl? <laughs> Possibly. You know, wave around a little uh, three arrows flag in celebration. Maybe light a cop car on fire. You know how St. Pauli does. Um, but yeah, that um, looking, I'm I'm very excited to find out who the head coach is. But that'll just come in time, uh, you know, yeah. for city. There's no it. Is it going to be sooner or later? I'm hoping it's sooner. We'd like to get that in line. And me being uh, the geek on this, I'm really excited about finding out what MLS does with their TV rights package, how that shakes out. We were looking for a bigger number dollar wise, but now some of the talk from Garber is he's looking at making sure that all games are on for all the markets and that there's no blackouts that may take away from the dollar amount. Uh, but that's a big step for the league. And if they can get assurances that they will be promoted better and of a, a higher stature, uh, than what they have been in the last contract. We'll see. That's what I'm looking forward to that warm weather. And uh, good health in the coming year. Anything else from you guys? I think that will do us for this year. For this year, folks, yes, on a programming note, uh, because of the holidays, schedules, everything going on, or in the term of news, nothing going on, uh, there will be no show next week. We'll come back in the new year, so we'll see you next year. Uh, you can fill the time with... Uh, the incredibly insane schedule of the English Premier League over the holiday period, as long as COVID doesn't wipe that out as is threatened. But that's about all I got. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year to all of you. Thank, thank you for sticking with us. And of course, Festivus. For the rest of for us. For the rest of us. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. We thank you extremely much for listening. Bye for now.